Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylobiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Kara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We are so excited and truly so honored and privileged to have Emily Ladau join us on this episode. Emily is a passionate disability rights activist, writer, speaker, and digital communications consultant whose career began at the age of 10 when she appeared on several episodes of Sesame Street to educate children about her life with a physical disability. She is the author of a wonderful book that's sitting right on my desk, Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. And this episode, I mean, my heart is so full. Cara, I just am so excited that we get to put this out in the world. We get calls, emails, DMs, letters, asking us to cover the territory of life in puberty with a disability. And Emily is the first person who we have brought onto the podcast, certainly not the last, but you will see why the bar is so high. I don't even want to give away anything about the conversation other than to say, you will be so glad you listened. So enjoy, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hello, hello. We're so happy to have you on here. And I want to give my cousin, Kevin Irvine, a big shout out for doing the matchmaking and having you join us on the Puberty Podcast. 
I'm so thrilled. I love when worlds collide and people find ways to come together and talk about important things. So this is awesome. So we're going to dive in. Cara's here too, but she's just smiling. I'm really smiling because I'm, I'm just going to let people in on a little secret. We had a pre-call with you. Gosh, it was a long time ago now, maybe four or five, six weeks ago. Nine years I, ago. I've I don't been know. counting the minutes <laughs> until this episode after that pre-call. That's why and I'm And the pre-call here sounded here. like this. I'm Cara. Emily, will you come back and do 10 episodes with us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just have a lot of wisdom to share. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, I'm not, I hope I'm, I'm not setting the bar too high, but you're just, I'm so excited to have you. Okay. I was going to say no pressure. Now everything I say is <laughs> a mic drop moment. Everything you said, but you know what? Once you've been on Sesame Street, being on the Puberty Podcast is like no big deal. You are first Sesame Street celebrity. Oh, you just blew up my spot immediately. Now everybody knows my secret. <laughs> <laughs> but I indeed was on Sesame Street. So I have talked about disability in quite a few spaces. So let's start with your story and tell us whatever you want to tell us and leave out whatever you want to leave out. I usually leave out nothing. I'm an oversharer. Kara is a... I might leave out a thing or two. (laughs) Kara has much more self-control than I do. (laughs) But tell us your story. And I want to tell listeners, we also will do an episode with your mom, Ellen, who is wonderful and was on the pre-call with us too. And part of the reason we had so much fun is because the two of you together are just absolutely wonderful. But for now, tell us your story, Emily. So I think you actually gave me a really good starting point because my mom and I share the same physical disability. It's called Larson syndrome. It's a genetic joint and muscle disorder, and it manifests in different ways in different people. But for me, I am a full-time wheelchair user. And I think that's probably the crux of my story is that disability is really a part of who I am, not just on the level of my DNA, but in terms of an identity, in terms of something that I embrace. And so I like to joke that I am a quote, professional disabled person. (laughs) I am just disability 24 seven. And part of that is because you can't take off an identity and put it on a shelf at night. But the other part of that is because I'm part of this incredible community that has a culture and a history behind it. And so as for what I do on a day-to-day basis, I really try to focus on making the disability experience more accessible to people because I'm a pretty firm believer that if we want the world to be more accessible to the disability community, then let's take these ideas and these concepts surrounding disability and make them more approachable and accessible for everybody. So that really informs what I do and gives you a little bit of an idea of the lens from which I'm approaching all of my work. And I could dive into my life story, my likes, my dislikes, but I think I'll, I'll leave it there for now. (laughs) You know, I think one of the things that we talked about when we first met and it's so obvious, but I'm just going to state the obvious. I know what you're going to say. You do know what I'm going to say. I'm so excited. 
well, maybe it's not that exciting. Just because you have a physical disability does not mean that you don't go through all the normal, really boring things in life, like puberty, right? I mean, that. So, oh, so that's much, not what I thought you were I know. What did you say? think? It was not that say. exciting. It's um, not really not. <laughs> I mean, usually you say very exciting things, Cara, but it's exciting for everyone. So I was yes, going to say do that listening to Emily talk about having a disability and teaching people about disabilities is a lot like our philosophy on teaching people and talking about puberty and that it's something that can be uncomfortable for people to talk about, sort of intimidating for people to learn about, people going through it, want other people to understand it, but sometimes it's hard to feel understood while you're managing it. People aren't sure about the right language to use or the right approach to discussing it. So it's funny. I'm embarrassed. I didn't think about it, Emily, the first time we talked about how similar it is, even to the point where the title of your book is called Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. And the first puberty workshop I ever ran was called Demystifying Puberty. Uh, I love that alignment. The mystique. The, the mystique. mystique. So, yes. Yeah, so, Cara, not to steal your thunder well, with a more your thunder was a little better epiphany I'm, than yours was. <laughs> not going to lie. You had better thunder. But I do want to talk a little bit about, I'd love to start this conversation with a dive into what life was like for you growing up, going through all of these very predictable, predictably unpredictable paths like puberty, how did it look different for you? And maybe you can share a little bit about when and how your physical limitations appeared and evolved and how that impacted your puberty. So maybe we can start when you were in grade school and and like, I don't know, needing a bra. Should we start there? Yeah, let's dive into it. And I also just wanted to circle back on what both of you said, because I think they're equally exciting in so far as, first of all, nobody realizes that disabled people also go through puberty. And when I say nobody, I mean, I guess the broader social norms have taught us to assume that disabled people do not experience puberty when that's incredibly untrue, because if you have a body, you are going to go through some kind of changes in that body. And as for having the language to talk about that, I think it becomes increasingly challenging when you're adding disability to that equation because people are doubly concerned about offending you. First, because they don't know the right language to use around disability, and then because they might not know the right language to use around puberty and bodies. And so you've got this sort of double whammy of confusion. And I think that I was definitely subjected to that as I was growing up because I didn't see myself represented in the mm-hmm. conversations that people were having and the resources that people were distributing around what puberty was like. And so I'm very lucky that my mom was my guide in a lot of these processes. But also the reality is she probably didn't even know everything there was to know because she similarly right. hadn't seen herself reflected in all of these conversations. And so a lot of my life was just figuring it out and hoping for the best. And when you ask about bras, for example, think about the physical dexterity that's required to put on a bra. And so sure, I wanted a bra just like everybody else wanted a Mm -hmm. bra. 
And I definitely had cute little training bras, but they are not easy for me to physically Mm -hmm. put on. And I find it so funny that, you know, people as they are are developing breasts are like, oh, I'm so excited to wear a bra. And now obviously it's the first thing I want to take off when I get home. (laughs) But quite frankly, it took a lot of figuring out before I realized I can't reach my arms behind my back to snap a bra the way that most people do. And front clasps don't really work for me because it's kind of hard to put them on in the first place. Oh, to get your arms through the arms through and then to pull it around. So getting a bra was sort of an exercise in how do you move your body in such a way to wear this thing that society expects you to wear. And that you want to wear, right? I mean, there's like a, there's almost a status fit about it, right? And to deprive you of that experience is not okay, right? So that there's that piece to it. Emily, do you mind if I ask what form of bra is actually easiest and most comfortable for you to put on and wear? Yeah, so I have finally, I think, settled on no underwire, a little bit of padding, And I will hold it, you know, together in the front and put it together that way. Then I'll twist it around like a lot of people do. Yeah, I do that. And I'll slide both arms into it. So I figured out how to put my bra on in a pretty typical way. But I will say it's actually getting more challenging for me Mm. as I get older, just because my body is less cooperative. And I have contractures in both of my elbows. So my arms don't extend all the way, which makes all kinds of dressing more complicated. And so this very basic rite of passage that I was so excited about, I'm now like, can we be done with this? I never want to wear one again. Will you explain what a contracture is for people who don't know? Oh, sure. Absolutely. That would be very helpful to do that. So my elbows are both kind of bent at 90 degree angles. I mean, I guess I could... If we're doing video, I could like hold it up in the camera, but suffice it to say that my arms don't extend out all the way. Right. So that act that many people take for granted of actually stretching their arm through an armhole or a strap becomes a challenge when your arm is essentially frozen at 90 degrees. It it actually is quite a difficult task to accomplish. And so the act of wearing bras is something I cannot say I treasure anymore. (laughs) Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how umsocks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myumla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. 
And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Can you talk a little bit about the natural history of your 
joint mobility and how mobile you were when you were entering puberty and how that has changed over time and sort of, you know, sort of where that goes for you. Absolutely. So I started using a wheelchair when I was in third grade, but I was still more mobile at the time. I was still walking. I didn't really choose to make the full transition to not walking anymore until early on in high school, which is right around the time that I was also experiencing a lot of changes in my body. And so as my mobility was more limited, so too was the amount of options that I had available to me as Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out how do I deal with these changes that my body is going through, including, and I'm sure we'll get to this, menstruation. Oh yeah, we're gonna I get was, to that. I was easing people into that, no pun intended. Um, but since you went there, Emily, I'm gonna go to, because this was something we talked about in the conversation. And it gets at the point of like, no one thinks about what the experience is like of other people until they are either A, have a great guide and understanding what someone else's different experiences or they go through it themselves. And we had a conversation in our pre-call and this is when I knew I was going to love you because we went right into what is it like to menstruate and to care for your period when you are in a wheelchair. And you just went there and I was like, oh my God, she's my soulmate because she'll she'll talk about all of this. talk about it. We have to. And the thing is, When I was younger, there was so much shame for me around handling getting my period. And now I am the complete opposite. And I want to be so straightforward with people because I want people to understand you are not alone in navigating challenging situations when it comes to changes in your body. And actually getting my period was not particularly ceremonious to me, but it turned out that I am a very, very heavy bleeder. And so... When I was in high school, I left class one day because I had pretty much soaked through my pad and I was cramping terribly and I just needed to go home and it was a complete disaster. And I went to the gynecologist and I started taking birth control, first of all, to help control the heaviness of the bleeding. But second of all, I realized that's not going to fully solve the puzzle because I can't put on a tampon and or put in a tampon rather. And I can't necessarily avoid that when I'm getting out of my wheelchair, my underwear is going to move and my pad is going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's how I start bleeding all over everything. So truth be told, my mother and I came up with the idea that I should wear Depends, which are basically adult disposable undergarments. And I was mortified. I was like, so you want me to go to school in diapers? And there were these huge, you know, fluffy, awful white things. Mm. If you bend over too far and you catch a glimpse of them, it's very obvious that it's not underwear. But Fast forward just quickly to all these years later, I literally just saw advertising maybe a year or so ago, Always is now making disposable period underwear. That's exactly right. And black and streamlined. And And you're like, where the hell were you when I was (laughs) getting my period? Yeah. So now 
Of course, disposable underwear makes sense because if you are a human person who is menstruating, chances are you're going to get blood all over yourself at some point. Mm -hmm. But when I was going through it, like there were no resources to have these conversations. So I want to talk about that a little bit more, not in the sense of like, the mechanics of it. Although, but, can I ask one quick mechanical sorry, question? Sorry, Cara wants to I get wasn't, into the I wasn't done. Get into I it. Done. I just want to know if you've tried period underwear and if it is a good solution for you because period underwear, as we know, has totally revolutionized um, the experience of menstrual hygiene for a lot of people. But some of the complications that you describe in getting in and out of a wheelchair are not solved by period underwear. So I was just curious. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I didn't try period underwear until a couple of years ago. I broke my leg in a freak accident. And in order to control potential for blood clotting, I had to do these injections every day. I hope no one is faint of heart who's listening. And as a precaution, when I was taking the injections, I also had to stop taking birth control because Mm. it your risk for blood clotting. And I'm already at risk for blood clotting because I'm so sedentary. And so that brought my period back immediately. And not only did it bring it back, but my cycle was all messed up. So it was just like full force bleeding for days and days and days. And so, yes, I tried period underwear and I would say it mostly did the trick, but again, you can't really account for what happens when you shift your body too far in one direction and then it becomes kind of dislodged from where it should be. So for the entrepreneurs out there, I'm wondering if you have any product ideas that would solve some of these issues because it's a great step in the right direction, but it doesn't do the trick entirely. Is there any anything that you can think of that if it existed would be life-changing for you? Yeah, just removing my reproductive organs <laughs> entirely. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. Um, oh, we get it. We get it. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, maybe an interesting solution would be almost like a boy short kind of design. I've often wondered about that. Yeah. With more, with absorption on more of the short than yeah. is currently yeah. in reusable exactly. period underwear. Exactly. Okay. It's like the period underwear version of wings. It's like exactly. a boy short, right? right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. there is a boy short that my daughter has. And I wonder, I have to go digging through her clean laundry, which is sitting in a basket next to her dirty laundry. So that requires a little investigating. I wonder if the sleep short, the period underwear sleep short she has, has more coverage. Because that's the problem for a lot of people, not just people in wheelchairs, that it, you know, you move and you sort of things get out of alignment. And then all of a sudden you're bleeding through your white jean shorts and it all is terrible. I want to go down one other little side path before. And I Vanessa don't remember what I was going to ask. I know I'm going to give you, t- so I'm giving you time go to think about it. it. <laughs> but the side path I want to go down is something that you just described that I think is really important that our listeners who don't deal with physical disabilities understand in a clear way. So when someone has a freak accident and breaks their leg, okay, the cascade of possible complications is there for everyone. The cascade of possible complications for someone who is in a wheelchair and sedentary are much more complicated. And so, for instance, if I were to break my leg and I was non-weight-bearing on my leg, I would need to be sitting around or hobbling around on crutches. And the reason I would be up hobbling around is to do exactly what you just described, which is reduce my risk of blood clots and blood clots form when 
you don't circulate the blood more aggressively and effectively in your body. You do not have the luxury of moving around in the same way. So at baseline, you have a risk of blood clots. And it is something that I don't think most people think about when they see someone who's in a wheelchair. I don't think they have much empathy for it. And I don't think that comes from a bad place. I just don't think they know about it. So when you break your leg, you're even less mobile than you are on a daily basis. And the risks are very real for you. I think that laddering up of issues that come with dealing with a physical disability need to be addressed really openly and really clearly. You are not a person who asks for sympathy or pity in any way, but you really do need for people to understand what you're dealing with on a daily basis and what everyone who is facing a disability like yours deals with, because that helps in this sort of quest for better preventive healthcare. It helps in a quest for more open conversation. So I just wanted to shed a little light on that one example that you brought up in there, probably 500 examples that are similar that you've experienced throughout your life where people just, they just don't realize. So that's a good segue, Emily, to not the question I was going to ask because I don't, I no longer remember what that question is. It's gone. Call me at three o'clock in the morning. I will. I will. I'm going (laughs) to text you and be like, I got it. Let's record. (laughs) But I keep thinking about, so you have this great section in the book that is what to say, say this, not this. And I want to come back to that because it's essentially a language guide to people who are not knowledgeable or experienced in speaking about or to people with disabilities. But first I want to ask you, so we're going to get there. So we're going to do like a puberty version of say this, not this. But I want to start with what do you wish, piggybacking on what Cara just said, what do you wish people had known when you were going through puberty, the people around you, the trusted adults, maybe the kids or maybe not the kids, maybe it's too big of an ass for kids, I don't know. But what do you wish the like adults around you had known or been aware of or been sensitive to when you were navigating your puberty? I think that it's twofold for me. And Definitely, there are physical aspects that were important. And I'll bring up a key example. I mentioned earlier that I can't put tampons in. And I mean that quite literally. I cannot physically twist my body in such a way that I can put a tampon in. And I remember I would see those little instruction cards that would come with the box of tampons and it would show a woman with her leg on the toilet or her leg on the bathtub or, you know, move in in this particular way and then twist your arm around and then stick it in. And I was like, forget it. I'm not an acrobat. So (laughs) you know, I think that from a physicality standpoint, I wish that there had been more understanding in all of the sex ed classes and the resources and, you know, the conversations like these aren't going to work for you and that's okay. We're going to find alternative solutions. But more than the physical issues, I think it's the emotional aspect of puberty that I really wish had gone differently for me. And this is not to say that I did not have an incredible support, especially in my mom and that, you know, doctors didn't do what they thought was right by me. But 
when you are navigating changes in your body and your body is already something that you don't really trust, that is kind of a fallible thing to you, and you have that hyper awareness of all of the ways that your body is not working for you and it's working against you. And then suddenly you're having these changes and you're having cramps and you're having pain and you're having all kinds of, you know, premenstrual symptoms. And then you're bleeding everywhere and you feel terrible and you have acne and you just don't understand why, you know, the hair won't stop growing. I mean, the list just keeps going on. <laughs> and it's, so challenging to navigate that if you don't have a disability, but if you're already so hyper aware of how different your body is from everybody else, and you're really sensitive about that, that's something that I wish there would have been more emotional support for mm-hmm. because I already struggled with the feeling that I didn't fit in. And so on the one hand, I wanted all these changes to happen to my body because I wanted to be like everybody else and go through it like everybody else. On the other hand, then I was sitting there comparing how my journey was going to how everybody else's journey was supposedly going. And it's just, it's an emotional roller coaster for anyone, but especially when you have added aspects of disability. We have this tool in medicine called the retrospectoscope. It has 20-20 vision. It sees everything perfectly. In the retrospectoscope of your mind, what would that have looked like or sounded like? You know, it's funny. I'm going to do this through the lens of the fact that I just saw, are you there, God? It's Mm. me, Margaret. And, you know, I know there's a whole bunch of problems with how that addresses puberty and also some great things about how Mm -hmm. that addresses puberty. And that's another, an entire podcast episode (laughs) that I'm sure you're already all over. But when I saw it, it just really drove home for me how little I saw myself Mm -hmm. in anything related to puberty. And so if I could have changed one thing, I wish that I saw a little girl in a wheelchair when I opened up a book. I wish that I didn't feel like I didn't belong when I opened up that textbook in seventh grade when we were doing sex ed. I wish that somebody had said, there is no such thing as a normal body. Nobody ever said that to me. It was literally all about being normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I hate that narrative. And I just wish that somebody had tried to counter that narrative for me. It's so funny because in our workshops and actually in our book too, we say there is no one normal. And then Kara always says, and there's no one normal, like normal. And we, we talk about how much we dislike the word normal because it is just inherently exclusive And what word can we use instead? And typical is a word. But again, there's an exclusivity about typical too. And I think, you know, there's the, if you can see it, you can be it kind of thing. Except with puberty, you're not choosing, nobody's choosing to go through puberty. It's happening to you and it's not an active choice. And so that sort of inclusive portrayal, and there's some wonderful books out. I mean, Uology, from our friends at Girlology, which is wonderfully inclusive and is probably the book you would have liked to have seen when you were a kid. It still feels like 
someone's always going to be left out or right. forgotten. I mean, we're in this moment of a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. This is one area that I think is really still lacking tremendously. I don't hear about the DEI lens on puberty teaching when it comes to physical disabilities. I don't hear about it. And we should. People should be screaming from the rafters because, I mean, I don't know if you have any data available that you can share, but it would be helpful to sort of frame it as, you know, the number of kids in this country who deal with a, well, if you take all disabilities wrapped together, it's a massive, massive number. So if you take the visible and invisible disabilities, that number is tremendous and would knock people's socks off. But visible disabilities, physical ones, Emily, do you have any sense of the numbers? Yeah. So in terms of the big number globally, it's over a billion people, a billion with a B, and that number is growing all the time. And the statistic that I can usually rattle off the top of my head is that one in four U.S. adults has some kind of disability. And that's probably a low estimate. Mm. So while I don't have the number of kids, I can say kids grow up to be adults. Right. Just mm-hmm. think about it that way. And also think about the fact that disability is something that anyone can acquire at any time. Mm-hmm. So you might be born with your disability. You might acquire it later in life. You might choose to identify later in life. And so there's so many different factors that go into whether a person deems themselves to be disabled and then there are legal definitions, right? I mean, there's so much to talk about when it comes to disability, but I think that the key for me is really understanding that disability is not a niche issue. Mm -hmm. No. Something that we need to push to the margins of marginalization like we keep doing. We need to bring it to the forefront of conversation. And it's systemic. The reason we're not talking about it is systemic. And it starts with not having conversations about disability in medical school. It starts with not having people with disabilities working in the corporate world who are selling menstruation hygiene products in the first place, right? I mean, everywhere you look, there's a gap. So- I referred earlier to the say this, not this. And when we talk about inclusion and when we talk about people who are marginalized for a variety of different reasons in our country, and those of us who, I mean, I'll refer back, Emily, to the email exchange when Kevin first connected us. And I said to you, I was like, I don't know if I'm using the right language. Can you tell me if I'm using the right language? Because there is such a shame. Like I feel such shame when I say the wrong thing or I use the wrong terminology or I am thoughtless in my own sort of unconscious discrimination. And people do that with kids also, right? They do that with growing kids. They do that with changing kids. And so to go back to your puberty experience and to go back to thinking about how we can be inclusive and thoughtful for kids with disabilities who are going through puberty and adolescence, a time, as you say, of constant comparison and constant measuring and all of those things. I want to think about what do we say and what don't we say? Or to use the language in your book, it's say this, not this, which I love. So you have say this, disability or disabled or a person with a disability, a disabled person, not differently abled. And I think people actually would be surprised to hear that because I think many people think that's actually an inclusive term, handicapped, 
special needs. Again, I think a lot of people see that as a term that's inclusive. I'm wondering if there, and there's a really long, wonderful, instructive list. I encourage everyone to buy Emily's book and to sit with it and read it. You can pick it up and there's like nuggets here and there. And she does it as you can only imagine listening to her. You were like, there's no judgment. So when I sent you the email saying, I'm not sure if this is right. And you wrote back to me, don't worry about it. Your language was fine. And if it wasn't fine, I would have corrected you and it's no big deal, right? So in the spirit of it's okay and you're gonna F it up. When we think about say this, not this, and we're looking at a pubescent kid with disabilities, not with disabilities, just a pubescent kid, what comes to mind for you? What is the stuff that people say to them? And you're like, oh God, because you've worked with Planned Parenthood. You've helped with sex education. You are out there as an activist working around disability rights, including the area of sex education and disability rights. What are like, what are the worst offenders? I know I have mine, but I want to hear your sort of like, oh God, they said it. Please tell me they didn't just say that. You know, I think so much of it comes down to, first of all, how we assume things about a person without actually communicating with that person. And I do mean all people, including children, communicate with that child. Do not make assumptions about that child. Mm -hmm. And also just around the narratives that are perpetuated when it comes to sexuality. So those are kind of the two big areas where I feel like people can run into some like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, for me, if I'm thinking back to my own experiences, so much of it was around the idea of me needing help and being made to feel uncomfortable if I needed help with certain things. Luckily, not by my mom, not by my family, but just, you know, other people, maybe doctors or, you know, teachers or whatever. If I was kind of just needing to navigate something that was going on and them sort of passing judgment on me. I wish that I could think of a very specific example, but of course it's not coming to me. So I'll text you at three o'clock in the morning. Good, done, um, I'll be up. When it comes to me, great. But you know what I'm trying to get at here is that so often adults are extremely patronizing to children And it's even worse when those kids have disabilities. Mm. That's what makes me cringe. Mm -hmm. If I could say one, like, do this, not this. Talk to kids like they are full human beings. Mm. Acknowledge the whole of their humanity. And I recognize that not every child communicates in the same way. Some children are nonverbal. Some children are going to communicate using sign language. Some, You know, like, we all have different ways of communicating. But we are all still people. And I think that the most cringeworthy moments of my life have been ones where people have talked down to me as if I didn't understand what was going on in my body. And, you know, even though I gave kudos to my parents a moment ago, they'll be the first ones to tell you when I was little and something was wrong, they would, you know, try to tell me what they thought was wrong. And I would be like, you're not in my body. You don't know how I feel. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did and learned from Emily as much as we have. And we're excited for part two 
of our episode with Emily on disability and sexuality. So check that out. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster. Go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. <laughs>